0: Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 116, Davos 3 in A Dance with Dragons. I am one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes, we are getting into the meat of some of these uh, Davos chapters as it's ending, I guess, because it's the Fifth book, yeah,
0: this is kind of it, huh? Yeah. This is the end. As we have <laughs> this is our oh, this is our penultimate Davos oh, chapter. It is,
1: we have started using that word for, haven't we?
0: <gasps> Girls Gone Cannons penultimate chapter for Davos in a dance with dragons.
1: Davos
0: in dance. Oh, a dance with Dragon Ball Z. Next time on a dance with Dragon Ball Z
1: yeah that's what that was next
0: time on a dance with dragon ball z
1: in a way davos's journey does feel a little like that right like he's going all over the kingdom on a quest for the dragon balls
0: well i'm very excited to be here in the penultimate episode for Davos, of his published chapters, right? I'm excited for the winds of winter and what blows our way eventually. Mm -hmm. But speaking of things that have blown our way, we had a few emails and messages come in over the last week.
1: We did. And some of these are from last week, right? We promised you all we said, you know, we got we got quite a few. And also, I think that these go better for this chapter. And I think you'll see why because it one of them literally is about this chapter. But we're going to start out with a <laughs> message from our friend Thunderclap, who ta- says at first of, As Davos enters White Harbor, I thought this might be of relevance. And gives us a quote from Patchface's song. And I particularly wanted to read this aloud, because over the past week or so, there's been a meme of, like, who would you cast as X, like, ass character? And Chloe was talking about how I... She thinks I speak in riddles, I don't know about that, and that I'm very mysterious, which, debatable. I'd like for people to think I'm <laughs> mysterious, but I don't think that I, they do. <laughs> I don't think that's really the vibe I give off. My vibe might be a little more like Patchface when you think about uh riddles and puns, so...
0: Annoying? Is that what you mean? I
1: think so. I think I come off more annoying than mysterious. (laughs) I really do.
0: I think there is a thin line between Patchface and Quaith, and I think, Eliana, that you straddle it daily.
1: That's kind of lewd, but...
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) stay tuned for more of that. Oh,
1: in this chapter? I don't know about that. (laughs) Well, it goes with Patchface. I will lead it. We will march into the sea and out again. Under the waves, we will ride seahorses, and mermaids will blow seashells to announce our coming, oh, oh, oh.
0: Wow, I really love Thank that. Thank you. The oh, 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 that was very- I made it up. It was very beautiful.
1: <laughs> uh, just like Patchface does, you know? <laughs> and <laughs>
0: <laughs> On the spot, or on the patch, you could say.
1: Oh. And Thunderclap draws some of those connections, saying, under the waves would be the flint of Widow's watch sigil- the seahorses are House Valerian or Orien Waters in his pirate fleet, and that the mermaids are, of course, the manderleys of White Harbor.
0: Oh, yes. Interesting comparison. That's really- especially because there is another- there's a few other Patchface things that lead up to this, right? Uh Everything water-related that Patchface has been up to kind of comes round circle in some ways here, though I know they have probably a deeper prophetic exact meaning.
1: I don't know what this could mean. If it's- that i think there's a part of me that that keeps with the way that Patrice has been using some of this language of thinking that the waves and being under it could be about being dead Mm -hmm. but i think it's a it's an interesting interpretation and i would love for house valerian to play more of a role we all know that i love house valerian
0: thunderclap mentioned as well something from the last chapter from davos He could smell the peat smoke drifting off Seal Rock, too. The sea stone dominated the approaches to the outer harbor, a massive gray-green upthrust looming 50 feet above the waters. Its top was crowned with a circle of weathered stones, a ring-fort of the first men that stood desolate and abandoned for hundreds of years. It was not abandoned now. Davos could see scorpions and spitfires behind the standing stones and the crossbowmen peering between them. It must be cold up there and wet. On all his previous visits, seals could be seen basking on the broken rocks below. Thunderclap goes on to mention that if a flint of Widow's Watch was on watch on a cold, wet night, they might be busy keeping warm than keeping watch. Very clever. Very clever. They also left a link to a really interesting battle, uh, something with John Paul Jones, a raid that you guys have to check out. We've linked it below in the details.
1: Yeah, and I do want to recommend a Thunderclap, you know, this is something that isn't necessarily one of our strengths, has a little bit more to do with that war stuff, to send it over, put, put a reminder on your calendar, and be sure to remember to send it over to our friends at Nauticast in about, I don't know, four years, when they eventually get to this chapter.
0: Uh. Amazing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely not our specialty that there that war stuff. We are but young women who know little in the ways of war. Yeah. That is for certain.
1: We also got another message, didn't we, Chloe? Yes, our friend
0: Micah wrote in and said that he's finally catching up to where he can keep up and send emails with his thoughts, which are very many. Uh, since the very legendary Davos 3, Davy 3 Adobida. Micah says, very clever, is coming up uh, right now. He wanted to mention something about Jared Frey, and this is, this is clever. This is a great catch. Jared Frey calls Davos a liar later in this chapter, and the only other time we meet Jared is Catelyn Nine, A Game of Thrones, where Lord Walder is talking about their response to Edmure's battle against Jamie. Walder claims they're going to march in... They're going to march, definitely, absolutely going to march, since their liege lost. He calls out Jared to support him and back his intent. Jared says, it was on my honor. Jared was lying there, as Walder was still pretty slow to react, as per usual. So the two appearances we get from Jared in the series, George manages, keeps, and enhances the trait of being a liar to the hand of kings.
1: Ah, huh. that is a pretty good catch, and you know, fucking Jared, dude. I'm glad ah, he's a dick. Actually, him—he's
0: bad. But Rhaegar, oh man, Frey all, is a piece of work. A piece of they're work. They're all
1: dicks. I'm, God. I'm pretty glad that it—he might have died. I—I know that's like not cool to say, probably, but maybe it is. I don't know. But
0: world's best pie. It might be. <laughs> I mean, I'm just putting it out there that. He might be delicious and better in this form.
1: Perhaps, but maybe he would be- have you ever considered that the phrase would be better fried? French phrase, or fried phrase. French
0: phrase. Hmm.
1: It's got- it's- Hmm. it's a thought. It's a thought. Either way,
0: I could just tell you that he would be better digested in that format.
1: For sure. Oh! Nice. Hired. Yes.
0: (sighs) Okay. Thanks so much for those emails, Micah and Thunderclap. Love to hear from you. If you want to send in your own, girlsgonecanon at gmail.com, or head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, hit us a message there, or, or, or Twitter, at girlsgonecanon. But that brings us to our lightning round, where we discuss what we missed between Davos 2 and Davos 3.
1: Yes. Daenerys 3. Zara and Doxos visits Daenerys with a thinly veiled threat. And Daenerys realizes that she cannot leave Marine this way.
0: John 4. Castle Black's stores are running out of food. John gives honest counsel to Stannis.
1: Tyrion 5. Identities are revealed aboard the Shy Maid, but Tyrion is swept below the Stoneman's waters before being given time to really speculate.
0: That brings us to Davos 3. Davos attends a mummer's farce, but who is being fooled and on whose honor?
1: Boomst. That brings us to the chapter itself, which starts out with His lordship will hear you now, smuggler. There's a knight who announces this in very fancy armour to Davos, and Davos asks to speak to his manager and is like, What's your name? He does this more than once throughout this chapter, and it turns out it's Sir Marlin, Manderly, Wyman's cousin, and commander of his garrison.
0: What an opening to a chapter, poor Davos, he is once more a smuggler, not a king's hand, not a lord. He is a smuggler. Sir Merlin Manderley is very interesting. I find his armor, no pun intended, extremely riveting. Greaves and gauntlet inlaid with niello to suggest flowing fronds of seaweed. The helm beneath his arm was the head of the Merlin king, with a crown of mother of pearl and a jutting beard of jet and jade. His own beard was as gray as the winter sea. So this description is quite obviously some overseas forging. This is not normal Westerosi forged armor, right? You can tell from Jet and Jade, this armor to be forged had to have some pretty fancy stuff shipped in for it, imported, etc. if it was made there. It reminds me a bit, and maybe this is because of our trip to Kohor recently in our Free Cities episodes on Patreon. Uh, it reminds me of Kohoric forging of some of Tobo Mott's work, right? Like Jon Aaron's in A Game of Thrones wrought all in pale silver with a blue jasper falcon and a mother-of-pearl moon on the breast. It's probably not a piece by Tobo, necessarily, though it could be, but I imagine that this fancy-schmancy armor had to have been acquired through trade of sorts. Marlin was actually written for A Feast for Crows and a Dance of Dragons. Huh. He was not before this, so I do wonder if George thought about this at all as a, a fancy imported armor.
1: You know, Marlin. I, I kind of wonder—is his name supposed to be a play on the fish, the marlin? Yes. It's kind of like a swordfish or and a dolphin combined, but not at all. I'm I'm not a biologist, and so that's true. <laughs> I, I love you pointing out the armor here, uh, because as you said, we've been doing some talking about cohort, and it really drives home how. White Harbor is this cosmopolitan place where a lot of cultures are meeting. And also, a lot of the other mandorleys, right, and the people in this court, they're dressed fairly nicely, probably because of that trade. And uh, the word yellow, and you kind of called it out by by picking this line, it's kind of interesting. Zionius has been doing some interesting work on, you know, comparing George's writing in between books. And the word yellow, I think, Zionius found it only really starts popping up in Feast and Dance. And then George uses it a lot and it's just like black being sort black inkish mm-hmm. thing being rubbed into or in the engravings of metal. But before George would kind of say like this thing engraved or etched with this color, right?
0: <laughs> he learned.
1: Yeah, I think that because he also starts talking about coins more. My theory was that he just like read a book or something and was like, that's a that's a word I can use now.
0: I could expand this.
1: Pretty much. I could expand my whole series.
0: <laughs> you know, I was starting to Google it, and that's pretty much all I learned. Is uh, th- That's as far as I got that it was for the inlay, right? For coloring the inlay, and it's dark. That's interesting, too, because then, uh, obviously, it creates it in a meta version. No, this is just something George learned. But it also implies in the story, you know, that, that circulation of trade happening, right? Something in the background. Maybe George doesn't mean it intentionally, but it just makes me think of some of the trade and the things moving back and forth. Uh-huh. and. Like you said, you see this all over the court. Wyla's hair, right, yeah. is dyed a garish green of the free cities. Uh, that, that, as we said last week, it reeks of, Grandpa, come on. All the other <sighs> girls have it in the port. You have to let me dye it. You know, it's some um, teen rebellion going on, and I love it, but they have the resources.
1: Wyman well, Vanderly also, he was in like, oh, fine. I bet he was like, that's a great idea. You should totally do it. I bet he was supportive of the green hair.
0: Definitely. Cool, Grandpa. Rock and roll, Grandpa. He kind
1: of is a little. So speaking of the timing of things in a meta sense, uh, our friend, who again, send, send your thoughts to him in four years when he gets to this chapter, Jeff from Nauticast uh, was talking and said, I just finished the episode on Davos 2 and you talked about the Davos and Brienne chapters being similar and that maybe the same threads would work but they were separated out by all those years um, and says, did you know that Davos 2 was written in 2003 originally for a feast for crows?
0: Oh, that makes sense. Huh?
1: I mean, I think it used to be one book, you know, we were all one book.
0: Well, and you can see that you can see the traces of that in the feast for crows appendix, right? That is where it's the most blatant. There are a lot of characters who aren't even really brought up in a feast for crows that, get an appendix slot, and in A Dance with Dragons. They're pretty prominent, and Marlin was that. Marlin is in the A Feast for Crows appendix, but he's not
1: mm.
0: not in A Feast for Crows. He's technically Wyman's nephew, also. We hear of him in Theon 1, A Dance with Dragons, and we also learn he has a personal sigil, and it's three silver mermaids on a violet field.
1: That's quite interesting. You gotta be real special. You know, you gotta be real special or kind of weird yeah. to have your own personal sigil, like how how Littlefinger has the mockingbird, and then uh, a blackfish. Yeah, interesting.
0: Really distinguishes himself, and especially that it's purple. We're definitely going to talk about some of that symbolism in the heraldry a little later, because it feels like it's prominent in this side of town in the north.
1: But for right now, in terms of prominence, you know, Davos, he started from the bottom, from flea bottom, and then he was all the way up there. Now he's back here. He's a captive again of some sort. And at least he has a fairly nice prison this time, you know, comparably. And during the time that he was in prison, right, uh, we we all read last chapter at some point in our lives. Dear Casso Kaso, who was, who was supposed to be his, like, ride, waited for Davos for four days instead of the three. He's like, I'm gonna leave after three days if you're not here. And he waited for four of them for Davos before he decided to finally part. Bless him.
0: I love that. It's so no. sweet. And in a microcosm, that's like that that hope beyond hope. Like, what, what happened to him the chapter before? That's that smuggler's luck yeah. rearing its head, right? Because what happened at Sisterton? Lord Burrell let him go, uh-huh. and he said, you were never here. And then here, even Casso held out hope, held out hope that maybe, maybe the smuggler turned hand of the king lord, maybe he'll survive, and maybe a better day could yeah. come for the north, for everything.
1: Just like solid or son, you know, like kind of, kind of waited for him pre- for a pretty long time, and like, yeah, I know that Davos lost four of his sons, and that's incredibly unfortunate and unlucky. Like definition of unlucky, but. You were saying you were saying just now, like all these things. I'm like, damn, maybe Davos actually is more lucky after losing his fingers. If he had lost those fingers, maybe his sons would be alive. That's a thought. That's a thought to consider.
0: Davos' four fingers are literally his sons. You're so exact- brilliant. Yes.
1: So those four days, right, have been added onto this other fortnight because it's been a fortnight since Caso left. So Davos has been waiting here for like 18 days or so since last chapter which is I think mm-hmm. an interesting timeline to give people. And as he walks, he's surrounded by guards in blue-green wool with tridents. They walk past these old faded banners and trophies and he also walks past some of fishfoot's smaller cousins. Yes, fishfoot <laughs> the statue has smaller cousins, which is exciting to me.
0: That's amazing. And I know. you know he actually comes across some of like the figureheads that are like, worm-eaten, too, just like huh. the, the prows of the ship that he saw outside. So I love that. This is, again, I really love coming to Newcastle. This is amazing. Uh, a parallel with the neck that I didn't even think about last week is that they carry tridents instead of regular spears, uh. kind of like how the reeds carry their frog spears, right? They're not exactly the same, but they have bronze frog spears closer to a trident. The- of course, the Manderley's tridents are silver, right? Where the reeds are bronze, which kind of shows us that bit of White Harbor's wealth peeking through. huh?
1: As well as the first manness of the reeds. Yeah.
0: There's a bit of a shield hall vibe going on here as well, right? Broken shields, rusted swords, wooden worn figures that once adorned the ships. When we consider the Manderleys and their thousand-ish or so year move to the north. They kind of keep their trophies on display, right? Obviously, like very much so to prove their place and prove that they're players here. These are their swords. These are their stories. This is Davos' first time at Newcastle, much less the merman's court. All along the wooden planks are notched with different sea creatures. And the imagery here is so cool. The animals that decorate the planks are smaller creatures. So there's crabs, clams, starfish basically bottom feeders amidst seaweed and bones. Around him, more closer to body level on the walls, are the predators. Sharks are painted, eels, octopods, and sunken ships. Then codfish and others swim around near the windows, and the surface of the water has cogs and the like, and then at the top are fishing nets hanging from the rafters. So quite literally, the merman's court shows us a food chain, and it makes the person that has to walk the plank, walk up these planks of animals, it turns you into a bottom feeder when oh, you enter the court. Yeah, so physically, you are at the bottom of the food chain as you approach Wyman on his dais. So this brings back that Patchface quote, right? Of under the sea, the old fish eat the young fish. He bobbed his head, his bells clanged and chimed and sang, I know, I know, oh, oh, oh. That's what it reminds me of here.
1: The net at the top, right? Because you are talking about mm-hmm. you becoming a bottom feeder, but at the top, yep. everyone's still trapped. Yep, it sucks.
0: The old fish eat the young. Well, but it is a trap, right? Because that's what we're seeing for Wyman, especially. He's yeah, trapped he right is. now.
1: But it's especially a trap for the phrase.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. Well. Forty chess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. At least It's at least 3D, yeah. right? With all these different... At least. These uh sculptures-ish, kind of. Davos hoped to speak to Wyman alone, but it turns out the Mandalese roll really deep. There's like a whole entourage here of people, and interestingly, women outnumber the men five to one, and all of the men who are left over are all very old or very young, and there are nearly a dozen Freys, and they're all dressed as such, as, as Freys, Ugh. and they all look like Freys too, right? And yeah, White Harbor is actually, I think, a really interesting contrast to the Vale, which we do get in Feast and Dorne, same, uh, and maybe even the Riverlands, right, in terms of, like, the devastation of the war is taken. But the Vale and Dorne, in many ways, untouched by it, by the war. And last chapter, we saw all the people who were displaced by the war and how White Harbor is providing that refuge, which in and of itself is, I think, kind of like a tip-off of where their loyalties lie, besides the fact that it shows that, you know, the Manderlees aren't completely heartless. And unlike the Veil, vale, war has touched White Harbor heavily, right? That's what the whole reason why one of the sons is dead and, like, another's hostage. But you, we can see that in the way that the women outnumber the men and who's left over, and it shows that really high toll that the Lannisters, the Freys, and the Boltons have taken on White Harbor in general because that means, like, all of those soldiers, a lot of their young men have died. Right? And our friend Maddie had some really interesting things to say about this in our Discord. and For example, about how the refugees are being housed in King Rob's what was, like, once his royal mint. Right? The in Mm -hmm. that that's really loaded. And Nadi says that coins in the medieval era were extremely associated with the personage and authority of the king. That's why counterfeiting was such an extreme crime. It was as if you were making a fake king. A royal mint was crucial to the establishment of a monarchy. On the one hand, this is the result of northern independence, death, warfare, destruction, and displacement, people forced from homes and hold fast behind... Lord Wyman's city walls, forced to squat in the remnants of King Rob's divine personage. And that this is a sort of cruel joke. Maddy also says on the other hand though, it is still a place of refuge and that is the Stark legacy. Things can go really, really wrong, wrong in ways we can't even imagine, but the Starks will take you in and do what they can to protect you. And that's what happened to the Manderleys. That's probably how the kings of winter forged their realms, helping the crofters of the wolf's wood and clansmen of the northern mountain shelter amidst the hot springs of Winterfell. Like so much in dance, that mint is used to house refugees, and that's a ghost of Winterfell and part of the Stark legacy.
0: Yeah, Maddie really, really captures the duality of the situation in this because it, you kind of get that feeling, right? Like, Obviously, Wyman's playing this multifaceted, he has different faces, like we know Ned has different faces, right? The Lord's face. Uh, of course, Catelyn sees him as her husband sometimes, and of course, the kids also have that gentle father figure, too, they once in a while see come out. And Wyman is playing a lot of roles here. Right now to the phrase, he wants to seem demure and submissive while plotting his moves. Uh, but he's also not an asshole. Right? He's not a complete asshole. As we learned. like, he's kind of kind, but there's also this part of him that's kind when it benefits him, we see. Uh, and the mint, obviously, he could give two shits because he's being held hostage by the phrase in his whole house right now. You know, like, he is straight up being held hostage. Yeah. If he doesn't smile and say, yes, I mean, this is, you know, they're in their house. What? They're just hanging out. Phrase everywhere, dude. Phrase outnumbering the Manderleys for sure right
1: now. In their own house. Yikes. So, that's kind of in a way, it's interesting because she kind of gets referenced a little bit in this chapter. That's sort of what's happening to Jane Poole, right? Because in a way, she grew mm-hmm. up in Winterfell, that's her home. And she's a hostage in her own home and surrounded by enemies, too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, obviously, Wyman has a little more autonomy and agency than her in the fact that he's not, like, chained to a tower, obviously. And obviously he gets a chance at vengeance, right? Like, And, I, I, God, I don't know who's going to let those fucking dogs out on him, but I, I don't know who's going to, but I hope they do. That's all I care. I just hope they do, Eliana. Holy shit.
1: I don't want those dogs to get they indigestion, though.
0: I hope those dogs kind of just find a new home.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree.
0: Oh, they're going to come back as whites. Anyways, yeah, great thoughts from Maddie all around. And it's a great comparison with the Vale. Again, they're, they're a skip hop away from each other, right? Right. Uh, blink and you'll miss it. You could end up in the Vale pretty pretty easy. And it's definitely, like you were saying, it's it's bringing that south north. They are, when you get to White Harbor, it's different than every other place. It's very much like a little southern getaway in the north.
1: Uh, interesting, yeah. You're a cosmopolitan excursion.
0: We're going to our northern house, you know, the cabins. (sighs) Davos had learned to read these men's faces long before Maester Pylos had taught him to read words on paper. These frays would gladly see me dead, he realized at a glance.
1: I I love that line. I love that they call out Davos' ability to understand people well. But I also am like... Well too bad that the Greys would gladly see him dead because we're gonna see them dead instead, kinda. Allegedly. Oh
0: <laughs> uh, well. god Best world's best pie episode. <laughs> Manderly also looks pretty unwelcoming, right? Like he does not look like he's ready to entertain, and Davos notes his weight and also kinda notes his man spreading that's going on. Wyman looks half a corpse, he thinks, with pallid greyish skin. And then we have this line that kings and corpses always draw attendance, the old saying went.
1: thought that was interesting, especially because what Mm -hmm. the, had this been, of course, again, the same book as Feast, we kind of opened a lot of Cersei's chapters up with the funeral of Tywin.
0: Oh, yes. And everyone coming up with their little roses to their noses.
1: Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm.
0: Little assholes. And I'm going to say something a little crazy, too. You know who is kind of corpse-looking?
1: I I have no thoughts, S- Chloe. I have no thoughts of who's kind of corpse-looking and might be associated with this. Huh. Staniel Alvarathian? Gasp, pretends to look shocked.
0: Yeah, man, what, what was that we heard about? His face? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm, his whole head, like you can see... A Anyways, I, it's just a thought that he draws attendants. Kings and corpses mm-hmm. always draw attendants. Indeed. <sighs> Good call-out. Well, Manderley's maester is not a corpse. He is fat. He is chubby cute with golden <laughs> curls, rosy cheeks, thick lips, which... I totally didn't realize that little side of his thick lips and golden curls the first time I read through it, just scanned through, I'm sure. But it's such a big call out, right? Because this isn't just Maester Theomor, but he was Theomor of House Lannister, a distant Lannister kin. Now he's a maester. We'll talk more about him next week for sure, I know, but Mm -hmm. that was a huge telltale hint with those cheeks and curls and lips.
1: Yeah, I love that that's such a great hint towards that. In this chapter, and also because, like, in this same book, right, we get the speech from Barbary Dustin, who's all like, I don't trust maesters, you don't know where they came from before that. So it pairs well with yeah. this. And I I think it is called out here, too, a little, like, that, that feels so pointed, the description of him. And that Davos keeps pointing also, then, to the Baratheon slash Lannister children bastards and how their appearance is proof of their bastardy, because they look only Lannister.
0: Man, see... And if only he could have connected the two and been like, Theomore, if only he knew, right? I mean, you can't just go or around telling people, to. like,
1: you're real blonde. I bet you're one of from one of the most noble families in Westeros. Right, right. But
0: if you knew. But, yeah. Uh, uh, which, obviously, he does not in the moment. And you're but not it's supposed just so to. But f- so ironic. Yeah, you're not supposed to. That's the whole point of it. And, obviously, that's like we'll talk about next week with, like, ethics when it comes to that. <laughs> but, uh... <sighs> Yeah, it was right there, because Davos, obviously, it's too bad he doesn't have some big book about the heritage of all the big houses and lineage in Westeros that he could lug around with him. And also, as we're about to get into his thoughts, you know, he, he's like, oh, man, too bad I dumped Edric, my only proof. Yeah. Like, what are you supposed to say?
1: Yeah. yeah. I I know. I'm sure that Stannis has told him about the book and been like, Davos, let me tell you about this book. Let me tell you about my history.
0: Ooh, <laughs> man, it's a big read, Davos. Well, Sir Marlin joins Wyman's right, a place of honor, and then around Wyman sits many women and girls, as Eliana mentioned, including one with the green garish hair. No one introduces themselves to Davos, very poor manners, until a maester announces Wyman. Lord of White Harbor and Warden of the White Knife, Shield of the Faith, Defender of the Dispossessed. Lord Marshal of the Mander, a Knight of the Order of the Greenhand, he said. In the Merman's Court, it is customary for vassals and petitioners to kneel. Davos, finally remembering his station, refuses to kneel and lists some of his own titles. Lord of the Rainwood, Admiral of the Narrow Sea, Hand of the King.
1: Yeah, Davos, that. get it. Get it. Stand up for yourself, Davos. Stand up for yourself. Yeah. Advocate. Yeah. I believe in him. And I, I guess that's the beauty, right? Of seeing him do that after the journey we've been on with Davos. Because Storm was sort of that transitionary book for him. Because you're like, so what is Davos' station right now? And in Clash, his sons had to keep reminding him, like, dad, you're a knight. You're a knight. And... Davos is using his position now, right? He's claiming it very confidently, regardless of how he might feel, whether or not he's confident. He's coming off kind of like that, and it's probably helpful that now he knows that a bunch of nobles are full of shit. He's like, I know that none of you are better than me. And he reminds them of his positions here, right? And I'm gonna talk about the bad show for a second. Ugh. (laughs) Because, like, here, no one introduces Davos, so he has to do those introductions for himself, uh, and also his titles, because no one here does that courtesy for him, which is, uh, it's meant to be very rude, Not, and along with that, telling him he needs to kneel. And I think it's interesting when you think of that scene in, again, The Bad Show, uh, when Davos pipes up, and he lists Jon Snow's titles when Jon meets Daenerys, and oh. takes that on for himself. Also, the plump woman who is at Manderly's feet, and we'll talk about her more later, uh, calls Davos an admirable an admiral without ships, a hand without fingers, and service to a king without a throne. It's actually really clever. That was a very clever joke uh, on her part. And asks Davos, like, so what are you, a riddle? And I think that the idea of Davos being a riddle is very interesting and all of these contradictions that are in here, which is so indicative of a lot of what we're seeing in Stannis' court.
0: Oh, Yeah. The, it turns out, this is Manderley's daughter-in-law. It's Lady Leona Manderley. She was originally a wool field, which it turns out a wool field uh, is a house that's sworn to the Manderleys. And it seems it could be from, like, Sheep's Head Hills or Ramgate. You know, Cute, wool, adorable sheep, Love it. Adorable. And... It seems they were written in for Feast Dance to kind of give some expansion to this area for the story. Her first appearance was actually in the Feast Appendix, like we talked about earlier. There's a lot of that happening here in this chapter. At the Citadel in Westeros.org, so semi-canon, I believe this was probably from Elio and Linda, decided. Uh, it's three sacks, white on purple, and a white border. Hmm. 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 So, sacks of wool. I, I, obviously, that's why I'm like, I think it's sheep's head because sheeps are known for wool. Uh, that's my guess. But I think that's interesting, like you said earlier about the woman. Uh, there's more women. There's many more women than men. They're all abandoned because their husbands and lovers and fiancés all died. Their promised to bees all died in the war, had that taken from them. And it's obvious that, like, especially Leona, I'm pretty sure we're, it's implied as we go along that Leona was not in on it. She just happened to be so, uh, you know, herself that it worked out. But of course she's going to snap out. They're terrified, dude. Yeah. They're all terrified that they're about to have to get married off to these people that murdered their kin.
1: And for her, it's that her husband is a uh, hostage right now. So she's understandably very terrified and... You know, you were saying just now and pointing out more, once again, how the women are much more in abundance. And I think we're going to see that maybe playing a role in Westeros in the the penultimate book, allegedly. Allegedly, the sixth book will be the penultimate. And, And the seventh book right after the war, because you know, a lot of the men die during these wars. A- a- women too, right? And women suffer a lot of the brunt of the famine and the aftermath and, and the sexual and gender-based violence, but like we kind of saw it at the end of the dance, right? And it's interesting that the dance ended up leading to less rights for women, but a lot <laughs> of the key figures in the what? The Hour of the Wolf who made those big political decisions? Yep. Well, yep. Sam Frey, a Frey, a right there. Sam probably. Hightower, Tower, yes, and and yep. t- t- what was her name? Sam, Samantha or Sabatha? Yes, yeah, Sabatha, Sabatha. Sorry, Sabath- Sabath- it was Sabatha Frey. Sabatha, right? Yep, and and the Aaron Black Alley. What was the Aaron's name? Jane Aaron.
0: All of the main houses and a lot of the pretty, you know, the pretentiously up there ones were involved in it. You know, you had everyone from Stark to High Tower to Aaron. You name it, I mean... Exactly. Everybody kind of got in... Well, and that's another thing that we're seeing a lot in this chapter, right? Like, with Wyman, uh, yes, two-sided here. Like, he's he's very much a decent guy, but also not unwilling to exploit.
1: Yeah, he's, he's very shrewd. And yes,
0: yes, shrewd.
1: He makes an interesting comment. He thinks that Davos is an ill omen, and insults Stannis for not liking his answer and seems to insinuate that Davos is less than for being a smuggler. And he's like, maybe you stole from me! You probably stole from me, Davos, because of that. And Davos is like, well, you know what, I've paid enough. I have paid, not just stolen, emphasizing the loss of his fingers. And Davos is like, can we just, like, talk in private? (laughs) And he's like, no. Manderly says no. And then Davos tries to put the tactic of, he's like, you know, really interesting that you would just hang out here with all of these Freys who killed your son. And then the Freys just try to pin the whole thing on Rob, allegedly turning into a wolf. And they say some shit about how Wendell Manderly sacrificed himself to protect Walder Frey. And I'm just like, why? What? Where do people get this shit? Wyman blinks back these tears. He like, give him a Grammy, all right? Give him a BAFTA. Uh Because he's like, oh my god, Wendell was so brave here. And Davos is also just like, not comprehending. He's like, what the fuck? And he's like, how can all these people, how can they just go on the internet and tell lies? (laughs) And they're all smirking in his face about it, too.
0: Yeah, it's pretty insulting and like Wyman's choking back those tears and they're probably real tears because he's like I can't believe I fucking have to do this but also like (sighs) yeah I just can't I can't imagine someone you know hanging out with the people who were pretty much responsible for their son's death
1: yep yep Well, well
0: there's a lot else going on here though okay so Um, let's break this apart for a second. Jingle Bell was killed by Rob.
1: Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell, Jingle Bell Frey.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. There's so much interesting stuff happening here because the Frey say Jingle Bell was killed by Rob and Jared and Rhaegar obviously don't hold Jingle Bell Aegon in such high regard because A. Uh, Aegon is a name of Rhaegar's older brother because yes, Aenys Frey named him that. <laughs> so funny, George. Uh, and it's a weird, like, Frey family tree thing. So Jingle Bell's the second born son of Stevron Frey. Had he not died, he was like, bloop, second, right? Right after his dad. So that's Walder's first born son's second son. And then Jared is Walder's second wife. And Walder's fourth son, and Rhaegar is the younger brother of Aegon Bloodborn, Walder's third-born son, Aenis's son. So, like, I see why they regard Jingle Bell and call him Jingle Bell instead of Aegon, because they have another Aegon, is my guess, from the brother thing. So, okay, back to jingling all the way. I think I understand why the phrase said this though. The phrase said Rob killed Jingle Bell when Rob did nothing, right? In Cat Seven. Let's compare it. Cat follows Edwin, realizes what's happening, Rob moves to block Edwin and gets shot immediately by an arrow and then a second arrow. Catelyn goes to run, and she gets hit by an arrow in the back. Wendell rises to his feet, holding a leg of lamb, and an arrow goes straight through his mouth, immediately through his neck, and he dies. That's it. So, I mean, they shot first, right? Like We know they shot first. Uh, We already knew that. It's all premeditated. But the Jingle Bell lie about Rob killing Jingle Bell, I can imagine the rumors of their very violent murder of Catalin are not being accepted well, right? And uh, she gets hit before even thinking about killing Jingle Bell in retaliation for Rob's death. So I don't know if maybe this is just to take off the trail. Like, obviously, it's to take people off the trail. This is our story, and we're sticking to it. But this narrative is very interesting in what they choose to change.
1: It is interesting, because I was wondering that, and I think what you said makes a lot of sense, because I was like, why wouldn't they just tell people, like, that Catelyn killed Jingle Bell, because that's, like, what actually happened, and that's, like, not great either, right? But I think what you said makes sense, because, yeah, it's covering up the violent murder of Cat.
0: Because she was not supposed to die. Like, that was their Mm. biggest fuck-up in the whole plan, was that Cat was supposed to be a hostage. You know, she was supposed to go quietly, be a hostage, and then everything would be under control. But because they murdered both of the big, like, fancy figureheads of the North that you think about in the cut, like, who's in the North again? Oh, the Starks. They're so nice. Never hear from them, though. Uh, you kind of fucked up. That's yeah, or, good. Or Oops,
1: we murdered Catelyn. There's that. I wonder if they just, like, don't care, right? Do they just not care about yeah. Catelyn? They just don't even think about her and don't even think about, like. They just hope that
0: no one cares about women.
1: Pretty much. You know, they
0: just hope they can just, you know... "Ah, There's another one. There's another one. They have a second one. You know, her name's Sansa.
1: Politically, no one's really rallying around Kat's memory, right? They're rallying around the Mm -hmm. memory of Rob. So they're doing everything that they can to...
0: Suppress sympathy. Rob
1: him of that legacy. (laughs) You're fired. (laughs) You're fucking fired. (laughs) I haven't been fired in a while. I've been so good. I've been so Uh, behaved.
0: Fuck out. (laughs) All right, listen... Davos asks the Frey's name, and as we said, this is Jared, because of course it is. And he goes,
1: Jared of House Frey, I name you liar. So, in a chapter where Davos has to give his own titles, right, and remind people that he's a hand, and is being very cognizant of that, I think it's really significant that he, like, he he really just fucking dropped that sir out of Jared's name. He didn't call him Sir Jared. And I think that's insulting in and of itself.
0: That is intentional. You are no sir to me. Mm-hmm.
1: He was no true knight. <sighs> Jared makes
0: a really stupid onion joke, and he tries to challenge Davos to a duel that wakes Wyman from his little, like, phase where he's just staring ahead, and he's like, no, nah, no fighting, no bloodshed. Only only later. No you know, later. No Not now. Not here. Uh, <laughs> Jared sheathes his sword. He still wants Davos' blood, though. A woman at a stool on the dais howls, saying, "'The onion knight stirs trouble.'" And I wish for him to be sent away before the throne finds out. Wyman comforts her, saying it won't come to that and that they'll be loyal to the throne. I do like the language here because it's very ambiguous on purpose. <laughs> Lord Wyman says, it will not come to that good daughter. The Iron Throne shall have no cause to doubt us. Mm-hmm. And of course, back to Cersei four in A Feast for Crows, we hear in the council meeting, just this morning there was another bird. Stannis has sent his onion smuggler to treat with White Harbor on his behalf. Manderly has clapped the wretch inside a cell. He asks us what he should do with him. Send him here that we might question him, suggested Merryweather. The man might know such a, the man might know much of value. Let him die, said Kyburn. His death will be a lesson to the North to show them what happens to traitors. I quite agree, the queen said. I have instructed Lord Manderly to have his head off forthwith. That should put an end to any chance of White Harbor supporting Stennis.
1: Hmm. Well, well, well.
0: Well, how the turntables. (laughs) How the
1: turntables, indeed.
0: (sighs) Uh, Poor Cersei. She just doesn't even know what's coming to her. It's almost like... It should be, like, illegal how mean it's gonna be in the end for her.
1: It should. But at the same time, Uh, can't look away. Nope.
0: Kind of deserves it. It's like a train crash,
1: yeah. Yeah. She's like a Mm -hmm. reality show. Uh, When could we talk about people who need to get a job? Cersei was trying to get a job, but no one would let her. Anyway, we digress.
0: (sighs) I wouldn't hire her. We do digress.
1: Davos decides to mention that Tommen you know, uh, son of Cersei is a usurper and that Stannis is the rightful king. It's a really strong language for a little boy. Uh, Maester Theomor says that Davos is wrong because Tommen is Robert's trueborn son and Wyman agrees. And of course Theomor fucking says that. Davos is like, wait, so you guys like really think he's trueborn? And he's like, He's a bastard. And then one of the phrase in the audience pipes up and says that Davos should be jailed for treason. And Jared says Davos should meet him on the field of honor. And It's going down. Jared Jared keeps hoping it will, and Davos is, is like... What does a fray know of honor? And then everyone in the crowd, and really she goes, oh! "Oh, it's that." Literally, it's it's a couple of things, right? Like it's uh, Mordecai
0: and what's his face from the animated show, but it's also the GIF of all the dudes all like, "Oh,
1: yeah, pretty much," mind. and then it's the guy that. being like, "It's literally that." And mm-hmm. yep, yep, that's that's it. Yep. It's
0: seven memes. There are like eighty memes at that moment is, but oh my god, dude, that that is a that is a diss right there. That is.
1: Yeah, and Davos, I mean, like, no one's allowed to, but you can tell they're all clapping on the inside. They're like, oh, shit. <laughs> <sighs> they're ready to, like, they're ready to give Davos everything, but they can't. Four phrases stand up. They're not ready to give him everything. They're ready to fight. Uh, they're ready to throw down. But Wyman halts him and says, he will hear Davos' proof first. And Davos is like, Fuck ascended away across the narrow sea it was edric storm so he gives the next best thing that he can think of which is not that great he's just like you have king stannis's word and i'm like shit dude that's what you you got nothing yeah
0: you got nothing oh yeah no one believes him also like immediately uh the young handsome brunette that's behind wyman says men will lie to get their way as any maid could tell you Maester Theomor says, Stannis wouldn't be the first king to lie to win a throne. Dude, right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Tommen. Mm Mm-hmm. Maester Theomor out here, like, Stannis wouldn't be the first king to lie to win a throne. What, like your fucking 80th cousin, Tommen?
1: Yeah, I mean, Tommen's not lying, but everyone else around him is. That poor boy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I never
0: stole a chance. He didn't. The plump pink woman, Lady Leona, points a finger, saying they want no part in his treasons, asking him to quit pouring his poison here. And Davos knows something deeper has wronged this woman. He asks the honor of having her name, which is when she's introduced as Willis's wife, Lady Leona, the captured Willis.
1: Yeah, so I thought this was interesting. We get another reminder at one point of... Davos being like, oh, okay, yes, of course, Wyman Manderley's son is hostage, and and he's kind of empathetic to that, and he thinks again of, like, how would I feel if Devin were hostage, right? And I'm like, why does this keep coming up in this book? And...
0: How could you be friends with... anyways.
1: <laughs> anyways, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I really hope Devin doesn't die, right? But when I think about it, I'm like, I guess hands do have five fingers, Anyway.
0: Hey, on the other hand, you have different fingers, you know?
1: <laughs> on the other hand, you have another five fingers.
0: <laughs> well, Davos has
1: got to pop out three more kids. Maria, that poor woman. Don't do it, Maria. Don't do it. Thanks Anyways.
0: alone. Oh, my God. Truly. My grandma said that they walk out after six. I have no intentions
1: that. of finding out.
0: <laughs> I don't either. <laughs>
1: Not of six. Yikes. Well, there's this line here that I thought was interesting, right? When they, they ask Davos and talk about the, the religion aspect of da- Stannis's camp. And Davos thinks, he prayed no one would ask him to explain about the to dragonstone or the godswood at Storm's End. He thinks, if they ask, I must needs tell them. Stannis would not have me lie. And I actually misread that a little the first time. On one hand, I think this is Davos thinking that Stannis would want him to tell the truth, which, yes, Stannis probably would. But there was a, when I read it the first time, I thought it was interesting thinking, like, oh, Davos wouldn't be willing to lie for Stannis. But that's probably not true. But it, it was an interesting thought that there's something that Davos would withhold and not give to Stannis in that way, in mm-hmm. terms of his own honor.
0: yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll see some of that come along. doesn't really matter, because I'm not sure he'll ever see him again. (laughs) Send him a quick DM. (laughs) Drop into the DMs.
1: (laughs) Send a wave, a Facebook wave, even, or a poke. Do you remember when you could poke people? Oh my
0: god. (gasps) Realizing that Leona is speaking from fear, Davos promises no harm will come to Lord Willis, or any man in White Harbor. Lady Leona calls this another lie, and Davos ignores her, saying Stannis means to continue on for justice in the north to carry out King Rob's war. Wyman calls Stannis a begging cur, come to beg at their tables, but Davos argues he came to save the realm and lands from ironborn and free folk. Sir, Mar- Sir Marlin Manderly snorts at this, saying, does Stannis mean to defend us from snarks and grumpkins as well? And Lady Leona pipes up that Now Stannis and Davos mean to make us bow to their red priestess's god, too? I love that. That's, like, very complicated, Lady Leona. Yeah. Uh, Davos prays about... Davos prays they don't ask him about the burning of the Weirwoods, and Leona says the seven defend White Harbor, and the prayers of godly men will shield them from their evil.
1: So there's a lot of things going on for Davos throughout this exchange, like, in in just a few moments, right? These brief moments, and I think, again, this entire Book of Dance, it really highlights just what an asset Davos truly is for Stannis's service, like, in those past two chapters with all of the different skills that we've discussed him displaying, and that continues here because as a hand, you know, Davos is representing Stannis, he's also a diplomat, and we've seen quite a few envoys, actually, throughout this entire series who including ones that are asking people to plead for allegiance. And it seems like it's never, ever an easy situation to be in, especially because Davos knows that there's a huge risk for him here. But he proves himself to, again, be like an incredible diplomat. And what's great for him is that he's had a little bit of service. He's had a lot of difficult situations, of course, right? As a smuggler, learned to read men's faces before he learned to read letters. And he also had a bit of practice when... He was on Sisterton with someone who, like, definitely cared about his well-being way less. And I think in some ways that might have been even a harder sell for him. He's balancing a lot of different asks here from his audience and fielding all of these different emotions from them. From trying to make the case to Wyman of, like, this is why you should pledge to Stannis. And also appealing to Lady Leona's fear and trying to sue that. And also making this emotional plea... uh, and he also has to deal with, like, the phrase lies and insults and just being like, what the fuck? And he does ignore Lady Leona, like, at one point, right? But I think he also shows this great empathy uh, when he realizes that it's fear for her husband that's driving her. And then he moves on to show her this compassion in the middle of everything that's going on, despite the fact that Lady Leona this has not been very great to him. And then it you know, to contrast like how he also acts towards the phrase and the kind of behavior that we've seen from other nobles, especially towards Davos throughout the series. Davos, I think, shows this really immense grace, especially grace under pressure and this patience, uh, despite his king constantly being insulted, him always being insulted and put down and people questioning his honor, and these phrase like, The phrase at any point, like, anyone says, like, one small word or thing, they're ready to fight. They're like, I'm going to fight him for that. I'm going to fight him for that. I want to fight. They're very hot-headed, which we see in a couple of other nobles as well. And I don't think it's a good trait. I don't think it's a very smart trait to have as someone who needs to be politicking. And on the other hand, Davos has to... He has to perform and represent his king, uh... And then on on another side, he also ignores all of these uh, insults because he kind of has to, right? Because at the same time, he's denying him the pleasure—he's denying them the pleasure of him feeling like rustled by it. And also, especially because he's lowborn, he's expected to act kind of at a higher standard than the nobles. Because if he wants to be taken seriously by them, I mean, he he can't get mad because otherwise they're gonna then just dismiss him as not having the right breeding or not having the right like attitude for it uh even if he does like any sort of hint of even giving them the least bit of the same discourteous behavior that they've shown him it's this huge double standard and then um to add on to like what how well he's doing here he has this really great little like kind of rhetorical trick that he over and over when he's driving home the Lannister best the Lannister bastard, he keeps saying, Tommen called Baratheon, Joffrey called Baratheon, X-person called Baratheon. He always says it kind of like that. And it kind of makes me wonder if that's like a bit that he like picked or like whipped up back then in Clash and delivered when he was going around the realm and informing people and telling them about Mm. the Lannister bastards. It's just so clever that he does that.
0: Oh, that's clever, yeah, because he's pretty i mean that's the thing is it does feel very rhetorical right like it yeah. feels practiced what else was he going to do in the belly of the ship probably too but uh Practice his lines, yeah, he's yeah. definitely yeah right he practices his lines and that adds to the farce right of what this is the mummers' show going on that we're talking about too uh the fact that these are his lines as well it's not just wyman has lines he must read the girls have lines they're reading it's also davos has lines to read
1: mm-hmm. he does he does He's trying the best he can, and he he's giving them back, right?
0: <laughs> he's about to be at a point where he's like, line. <laughs> uh, to quote Arya, you know your lines and I know mine. Exactly. Wyman pats Leona's shoulder lovingly and takes over, explaining what his past lieges have asked of him. He says, Tywin offered me a pardon and the return of my son for 3,000 dragons. Wow. Roose wants me to give up my claim to the Hornwood Lands and swears that my other holdings will remain untouched. And Walder offers me a wife, sons, daughters. So what does Stannis offer me? War and woe and the screams of burning men, Davos might have said. The chance to do your duty, he replied instead. That was the answer Stannis would have given Wyman Manderly. The hand should speak with the king's voice. Hmm. So all of these gifts are poisoned. That is another huge red flag that Wyman's not really supporting the regime. He says they're great terms, but let's recap. 3,000 dragons, give up extra lands, forced to marry Freys that are halfway down the bloodline with no worth, which also promises Frey blood gets to inherit the harbor eventually and have partial domain in the north. Though, I do want to come back and say how he handled the Donella Hornwood situation. It was like, oh, I better protect the Hornwood lands now that she's dead from Ramsey, you know, for safekeeping, Haha, Suspect, very suspect, Wyman. Not great, maybe you deserve this treatment. No, I'm just kidding, that's not nice. But while he's a decent guy in the face of this, again, it stands out, this is all detrimental to him, and while he's definitely a stark man, as we hear in the next chapter, he still says to Davos, hey, now that the curtain's pulled, so what do you have? And Davos is like, lol, I really had nothing. That was I wasn't bluffing. Like, I wasn't kidding. I have absolutely nothing. And he's in it for advantages. He is in it to exploit things for his nature, which I understand. I mean, you're caught up in this shitty war. You need some good stuff to happen for your people. Uh, but we definitely see it more in the next chapter, too, right? With Wex's appearance and information, and it kind of helps us predict his grey morality when it comes to Rick and Stark, a child king.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, like we said, right? Wyman's very shrewd. He's smart mm-hmm. about what he's doing. He's calculated, and he he uses everything that he can to his advantage, and again to advance his own station. And as you said, like they're pretty shit terms that he's been given. Like, and he's kind of saying it. You know, you read it, and you're like, "Wow, this is a bad deal." Sounds great. This <laughs> is a shit sandwich, horrible. bro. <sighs> He's pretty much explicitly kind of saying that to Davos, and Davos doesn't quite pick up on this, because it's kind of like, how can Mm -hmm. you believe that he would want this? And he lists all (laughs) the things that he has to, as you said, give up to the Boltons and Lannisters and Freys, but it, it kind of feels like he's also kind of nudging Davos in the direction of, like, if you want my loyalty, here's all the things that they're trying to take me, promise that you can give me these things, and I'm yours, right? He's asking for pardons, right? He says that he wants pardons, he wants the Hornwood lands and castles. And he wants good marriage prospects for his children. It's pretty laid out. But Davos does not pick up what he's putting down. Or maybe he thinks that it's no good. Like he just isn't able to do it. And I do think that this is the one area where Davos is actually quite weak as a diplomat. um, Negotiation. Which I think is really interesting because I imagine that that's kind of a big part of being a smuggler. Seems like an important skill to know. He doesn't know how to do that bargaining. And he doesn't. Think about how to make those promises. Alistair Florent, right, tried to do some of that bargaining and negotiation. It obviously didn't go well for him. But we see this kind of promising and negotiation with Catelyn, right, when she meets with Walder Frey. And we see all of the Lannister children do it to some extent. They're all all adults now. But Tyrion does it a lot, a lot, a lot throughout the entire series. He does it quite heavily in dance, especially with the second sons. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That Davos he's very do skilled
0: it. in the entandra. Absolutely,
1: yeah. It, it's it's just interesting that of everything, despite all of Davos' like incredible strengths, this is not one of his.
0: It is a weakness, but it's also like, how could you understand that? Like, you literally look like he he looks like he's betting with phrase. You know, I mean, uh, I can understand that. The other thing is like, how could how could you boldly understand the the slight? Because even Wyman here, he knows that he can't be any more obvious than this. Like it's Can obvious to us it the any reader. More
1: obvious?
0: <sighs> Haven't you heard? Um <laughs> Yeah, that, that's it though. Like it it, it is uh, it, in those terms to keep your singing on here. Uh, he can't make it any more complicated.
1: Oh. Or less complicated. He's like why you got to go yeah. make things so complicated? And, and I mean it's a it's a we're in a complicated situation right now for uh,
0: You know defense. how like Dogs can hear a certain decibel, like in a certain pitch that we can't, or something. Mm-hmm. I'm sure this exists. This is a thing. You've heard of this, right? Yeah. In some manner or yes. form. I don't care enough to know the details, so this is just very off the cuff, but uh, It's magic. Dogs are magic. Maybe the phrase can't hear anything above a certain pitch, or below a certain <laughs> I, pitch, you know?
1: I do think that about a lot of them. I'm gonna be real. <laughs> like dogs. Oh. Uh,
0: Sir Marlin, in his very ornate silver armor, asks if he can question the Onion Knight, and Wyman allows him. He asks a few questions and says, How many Northmen have joined Stannis? Arnulf Karstark. Marlin's like, he's a castle and he's not a lord, so doesn't really count. What castles does Stannis hold? Nightfort, Storm's End, Dragonstone. Maester Theomor's like, that's a nonce. Nightfort's not a real place, and Stormsend and Dragonstone are lightly held at best. They're going to fall any second now, which, yeah.
1: Yeah, that does true. literally happen.
0: <laughs> literally. And then, of course, the last question, how many men ride with Stannis? And Davos is like, my best answer is not to answer, haha. So, yeah, it's not looking great for Davos, is what I'm trying to say. Things aren't great right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a line here from Marlin of your lordship asks the Onion Knight what Stannis offers us. Let me answer. He offers us defeat and death. He would have you mount a horse of air and give battle with a sword of wind. I mean, he's not wrong.
0: That's literally what Davos just thought. He's like, should I tell you you're gonna have burnt men? Like Davos is like sitting here like this sucks. I I guess this is coming from a corporate relationship. I can understand this actually.
1: Yeah, I mean Davos does think that. You know, he's like... He and Marlon have kind of mind melded and, you know, Marlon's kind of a huge dick uh, in a lot of parts in this chapter, especially at the beginning, but I can't tell, I cannot tell if it's part of the act that a lot of the Manderlis are putting on or Mm -hmm. not, because when he draws out this case, right, when he asks Davos these questions, some of the ways that he delivers the questions and the answers I think are actually quite respectful. Right, in, mm-hmm. in the language that he's using for it. And he's just kind of like trying to lay the case out for it of like why pledging to Stannis doesn't make any sense to them advantageously. And mm-hmm. at, in that last line, he's like, This is what Stannis offers us. And as you said, it's what Davos thought. It's, it's a smart thought. And he also then kind of lays the blame on Stannis and not on Davos in that moment. I, th- I thought that was kind of uh, polite.
0: That is polite, and I do think he has to be in on it. Like he is, uh, not young young. You know, he's older. He's not old old, but he's like a little younger than Wyman. You know, he's technically nephewish. So I, I mean, I think he's in on it, especially because you know, men get to know things in this story, and girls don't.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, and <laughs> you know, some of them are. You know how that yeah. goes.
0: We're emotional, and they like war.
1: Uh, yeah, but Wyman's is quite proud of that. In one, in Wyla later.
0: Oh, God, she. Well, and how could you not be? How I know. How could you not be? As we'll get to. Wyman asks if Davos has anything else to say to him or if he can put an end to this mummer's farce.
1: Bow, 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 bow. He said the thing.
0: Pew pew pew. Yeah, it, it's very double edged here. As we know, it's actually really referring to Lord Manderly's show that he's putting on for the mm-hmm. phrase. All the world's a stage, and as Sir Roderick said in A Clash of Kings, brand 2, he is fat, but he is not stupid.
1: Mm-mm, mm-mm. Davos feels despair, knowing that he's failing Stannis, and thinking that <sighs> Stannis should have just sent someone who is better equipped with words. Actually, Davos has really good words.
0: Yeah, I do agree. I think he's doing a really great job. He and is. he does a great job in the next passage, which... I'm very excited about this. We have a couple guest voices joining us. You may know them. You may recognize them. Death. He heard himself say.
1: There will be death, aye. Your lordship lost a son at the Red Wedding. I lost four upon the Blackwater. And why? because the Lannisters stole the throne. Go to King's Landing and look on Tommen with your own eyes if you doubt me. A blind man could see it. What does Stannis offer you? Vengeance. Vengeance for my sons and yours, for your husbands and your fathers and your brothers. Vengeance for your murdered lord, your murdered king, your butchered princes. Vengeance. Yes,
0: piped a girl's voice, thin and high, It belonged to the half-grown child with the blonde eyebrows and the long green braid.
1: They killed Lord Eddard and Lady Catelyn and King Rob. He was our king. He was brave and good and the Freys murdered him. If Lord Stannis will avenge him, we should join Lord Stannis.
0: Manderly pulled her close. Gryla, every time you open your mouth, you make me want to send you to the Silent Sisters.
1: I only said.
0: We heard what you said, said the older girl, her sister.
1: A child's foolishness. Speak no ill of our friends of Frey. No! One of them will be your lord and husband soon. I won't, I won't ever. They killed the king,
0: the girl declared, shaking her head. Lord Wyman flushed.
1: You will? When the appointed day arrives,
0: you will speak your wedding vows, else you will join the Silent Sisters and never speak again. The poor girl looked stricken. Grandfather, please! Hush, child! said Lady Leona. You heard your lord grandfather. Hush! You know nothing.
1: I know about the promise,
0: insisted the girl.
1: Maester Theomor, tell them! A thousand years before the conquest, a promise was made, and oaths were sworn in the wolf's den before the old gods and the new. When we were sore, beset, and friendless, hounded from our homes, and in peril of our lives, the wolves took us in and nourished us and protected us against our enemies. The city is built upon the land they gave us. In return, we swore that we should always be their men. Stark men!
0: The maester fingered the chain around his deck. Samwell's were sworn to the Starks of Winterfell. Aye, but Winterfell has fallen, and House Stark has been extinguished.
1: That's because they killed them all!
0: Amazing work, amazing work. I was so excited that we had some guest voices. Thank you to the wonderful Maester Mary up from Under Winterfell. You may remember her when she joined us for a Jon Snow chapter. Uh, and also from Learned Hands podcast. She was Winifred. Clint from the Learned Hands podcast, Laws of Ice and Fire, was Wyman. Joe Magician, who was here a bit back, back in Jon, joined us as Maester Theamore our friend and patron Amy Allison was Lady Leona, and of course, the poor Quentin as Davos. A uh, big shout out to his Davos series. We'll throw a link below. You have to check it out if you haven't read it before, but he has covered a Dance with Dragons Davos pretty thoroughly. This was done on super short notice, so thank you so much, guys. God damn straight. They did kill them all. They Wyla. did.
1: <laughs> she, I love how she's just like, what the fuck? She also, like, Davos is like, am I what am i like what am i taking crazy am i going crazy yeah Yeah. yeah. am i taking what the what the fuck
0: What the? she's just whispering what the fuck to herself 10 times
1: a day she's like what the where'd your spines go old people she's probably doing that like throughout this she's like dude just five minutes before this whole thing we were all talking shit about how we're gonna kill the (laughs) phrase what the fuck is going on here
0: (laughs) i'm literally holding a five iron come on grandpa uh, yeah, that was definitely, uh, that was a good one. Wyla's the shit. That was, and great rendition, Eliana. I, truly, I set this whole thing up because I just wanted to hear you be Wila.
1: Oh, okay, thank you. Not Patchface? You no. Know.
0: Oh, I always want to hear you be Patchface, <gasps> Eliana. Uh, well, let's talk about this little vengeance speech Davos gave. I think this is a great bit of writing, mm-hmm. right? Vengeance it for is. my sons and yours, for your husbands and your fathers and your brothers, for your murdered lord, your murdered king, your butchered princes. Vengeance. You know, in this very book, in The Watcher, we get a very important speech from Ilaria. Oberin wanted vengeance for Elia. Now the three of you want vengeance for him. I have four daughters, I remind you. Is that how it goes? Round and round forever? I ask again, where does it end? And she goes on to say, I saw your father die. Here is his killer. Can I take a skull to bed with me to give me comfort in the night? Will it make me laugh, write me songs, care for me when I'm old and sick? There's a lot of big Dorn imagery going on. It reminds me a bit of that, right? Especially with Wyman's politicking as we're going to get into. But it also brings the rise of vengeance in Lady Stoneheart right at the end there of mm-hmm. the book's that have preceded it, Catelyn, Catelyn, who was murdered, Wyla just brought up in the speech. White Harbor is going to be the main source of resources for rebuilding the North, right? We, We have come to that, we get that. And right now, Davos is asking them for those resources to join Stannis in war and vengeance against the South and in the North, for those who have stolen the North. And Wyman has already been building this vengeance, right? Much like A friend we have in Dorne, Doran Martell, Mm -hmm. Wyman has been building his vengeance steadily, even in a Game of Thrones, Eddard IV. Eddard instructed them to have Lord Manderly know he needed to strengthen and repair his defenses at White Harbor as soon as the banners were called. And in Brand II, A Clash of Kings, when Wyman visits, he says, Grant me the gold, and within the year I will float you sufficient galleys to take Dragonstone and King's Landing both. Now, who knows if that's where these galleys are really being made from. As we talked last time, it could be the Lannisters and phrase have given him some money to kind of get that going. But with what we know for Wyman's future, he's already chosen vengeance. Mm-hmm. And this vengeance is probably going to come at the price of his life, right? When we mm-hmm. see him last, he's uh, looking pretty gruesome, worse than he is now. He's the old man ready to go out into winter to save his family. And he's aware of this. He knows what this cost is because we see him, this chapter especially, playing this careful game on a slippery slope. Very much so, this reminds me of the Sand Snakes, right? Coming to Doran and harassing him, saying, when are we getting our vengeance for for our dad? And Wyla here speaking out like, what are you talking about the phrase? We need vengeance, Grandpa. Uh, They both are plotting it. Just wait. It's coming.
1: That's such a great comparison to what's going on in Dorne, and as you also called out, this is a fantastic speech from Davos. Davos is all like, I don't have good words. I'm like, those are fucking amazing words. You're doing amazing, sweetie. It's very compelling, right? He's like, I don't have anything to offer, but basically justice. And, and as you said, vengeance, and those are strong motivators as we see in this series. We see it working for Manderly. I will say, you know, Wyman Manderly, he gets going on his vengeance really quick. He's a doer. And the way that Doran was like, I'm going I'm <laughs> to wait a long ass time and no one's going to know my plans and everyone's going to second guess him. As we see in the next chapter, and we'll talk about it more then, Wyman has had the good forethought that most of the people in that room that were Manderley's were in on it. Uh, Wyla maybe was a little, but obviously not enough, because she was like, "I thought we hated them." <laughs> she doesn't say to that. To be fair, she say I mean, that. she's but also he has them, right? Like he. Yeah. Uh,
0: the the other thing is, Doran obviously had kind of a little bit of an advantage of being in Dorn, right? Which is separate.
1: That's mm-hmm. uh, the
0: one of the very few things that Dorn gets allowed to have, and they couldn't really just come after him, but. It took him a while to get a Lannister in his house, let alone two. Yeah. Although one isn't an important Lannister, but uh, let alone two. I mean, it took him a while to be able to have lions in his den, and Wyman unfortunately was belabored with the phrase with the towers of phrase much earlier than Doran had the opportunity, though. Wyman, of course, is out there swinging and dealing for his life right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, Wyman is willing. He's life like, under the crown sucks. He knows he knows the risks and he's taking it. He's like, all right, well, vengeance isn't going to come to me, so I'm going to go to it. And he goes to Winterfell. He's like, I see a chance and I'm going to take it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that what Doran's doing is wrong. I think he's right to think of the children. But I'm just saying that these are differences in the way that they, they approach this and the, how they desire vengeance, right? Like... They both feel it strongly. Absolutely, they've been sitting with these, uh, this insult, right? How dare the Freys just come in and act like things are fine. How dare Tywin lie to the face of Doran and the rest of the realm when everything happened, and it's a strong motivator. Well, the Rhaegar, Rhaegar Frey doesn't quite understand any of that. I don't know that he has real people feelings. Um. He asks Wyman to allow him to reason with Wyla. And Rhaegar, of course, bears actually no resemblance at all to the late crown prince. He's wearing a gray and blue clothing of rich cloth, lambswool, and silk trimmings, lined with Vare and clasped with the towers of his house. And I'm going to just throw this out there. All right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but a very brief fashion corner of what does George have against people who wear Vare, part four? Like, How many times have we seen people that George doesn't think well of wearing Vare? Or like that are I don't know, Aliana. how many times? I don't know. Isn't Liza? Liza Aaron wears Vare, right? She's one of them. Yeah, but I feel
0: like that's kind of broad. I think it's a.
1: Barbary wears it and Bran
0: wears Vare.
1: Okay, well, that makes sense because he's a squirrel. uh,
0: Bran wears Vare. You got Loki Jr., I mean, Redly, wearing Vare. Sir Preston wears. puts Vare, sorry. Around the queen. Hmm. Lady Tanda and her daughters wear Vare. Fat Walda, it, there's an idea of her wearing pink lace and cape of Vare. It's not a real thing. Sansa wears silvery satin trimmed in Vare. There's a Tully dress in Vare in the veil. It's the red and blue Tully dress. Then in Cat of the Canals, there is a Bravosi purple cloak with Vare. Oh, Darren. Darren, of course, is wearing Vare. And well, then we get here. And the only other mention of Vare is Lady Dustin.
1: Ignore ignore what I said then. George has nothing okay. against people who wear Vare. Well, there's that Vare again. Vare it is. Vare it is <laughs> once more. Um.
0: Rhaegar addresses Lady Wyla. Rhaegar's such a dick. He says he hopes her loyalty will be just as strong to little Walder when they're married. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he tries to peddle some false propaganda that the male Starks are dead and one of the girls is coming home to marry Ramsay and join their houses and reunite the North. Wyla is out there like, No, I hate that guy. He made Donella eat her fingers, bitch.
1: Yeah, and she's right and she should say it. And now that I think about it, Besides the fact that that's so horrifying, do the Manderleys also just think poorly of anyone who makes people remove their fingers? I'm just saying, putting it out there.
0: These are interesting things to ruminate on, and I don't think I have to respond because I'm just going to ruminate. I'm going to do some intense ruminating on it, Eliana. Yeah. To find the answer.
1: We're going to ruminate on that, but we're also going to talk explicitly about something else here, right? Of how it's important that Wyla called out this part about Lady Danella Hornwood. We are all on a reread once more. We know what happens, and that the Manderlees here know about what Ramsay really did. And yes, Wyman does now have the Hornwood lands, and is being asked to relinquish them, and he has uh, asked for them before, in a way. Right, It's significant that we... I mean, we do see that the Mandalese care about the Hornwoods in a couple of ways, right? Like, a lot of the displaced people um, seeking refuge at White Harbor right now, they are from the Hornwood lands. And also, it's definitely insulting in a way in that, yeah, yes, Wyman, maybe it was a little self-serving in him trying to marry Lady Danella Hornwood, and it, it was one of the implications, right, in Clash, uh, and or maybe having her wed Wendell, but obviously that's not on the table anymore. Um... But, meat
0: is off the menu oh my
1: god but lady danella hornwood's death isn't just like normally horrifying right danella herself is a manderley she is a cousin of wyman who has been killed by the boltons so that's another thing to add to the whole vengeance list things to get vengeance for it almost kind of reminds me a little of him you know uh
0: being told to relinquish the Hornwood lands, in a way, it's honoring Donella. He gets them, and he's kind of protecting them, and it kind of reminds me of Ned's bones in a way and how getting Ned's bones home is so important.
1: Mm.
0: It's just from a narrative standpoint of just like Catelyn wants them to go home, and now we hear Barbary is trying to block them from ever returning, and it's kind of like a big sin, right? Like it's a big like, oh, if his bones don't get back, that'll really show him. And in a way, Wyman protecting this land feels honorific like that if that makes sense
1: yeah yeah i i do i i think it's you know it's got layers like an onion oh my god a man is not
0: just bad or good is what i'm saying well there's a man
1: wearing purple with crossed bronze (laughs) keys clasping his cloak spears affirming what viola says yes
0: like shrek oh my god This is presumably an unnamed man of House Lock. He has bronze keys, purple. That's House Lock. That's interesting. I'm kind of surprised he doesn't have a name because who we've met, we've met men of House Lock. So it's just kind of like a.
1: In the show that these books are based on.
0: (laughs) No, uh, but we do get House Lock earlier on. We get a handful of different people from House Lock that are named. So it's weird that this one's just not named. But. Something I find more interesting is the purple. There is a lot of purple on this side of the north. Uh, royalty, obviously, is the first thing that springs to mind of purple. Wool's field is purple. Marlin's personal sigil, it has violet field. As you get mm-hmm. out of the main stark area of the north, you get vibrant colors. The colors start to like brighten up, uh, especially on the east coast here of the north, like Hornwood Orange it all brightens up from the gray and white.
1: That is interesting. And especially on the coast, as you said. Kind of a little more of maybe that southern influence yeah. flavor. Rhaegar puffs up his chest because, of course, he does, saying that that's just what his enemies say about him and that Rob Stark was <laughs> more beast than boy and he's, like, puffed up with pride and bloodlust. Ugh. 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 Ugh.
0: He says... Rob Stark betrayed us all. "'He abandoned the North to cruel mercies of the Iron Men "'to carve out a fairer kingdom for himself along the Trident. "'Then he abandoned the River Lords who'd risked much and more for him, "'breaking his marriage pact with my grandfather "'to wed the first Western wedge who caught his eye. "'The young wolf, he was a vile dog and died like one.'" "'How dare you, first of all, how dare you?' How it's dare you? so
1: rude. It's really very rude.
0: And it's also untrue. How could someone just go on the internet and spread lies like this?
1: I know. It's the disrespect, <gasps> Chloe, truly.
0: Uh, well, the court doesn't take it well, right? Like The court goes really still for a second, and for one moment Wyman looks like he's gonna deck this motherfucker. Like He's just gonna go all out on him, but instead he sucks it up and he goes, yes, mm-hmm, that sure happened. Thank the <laughs> lords. Yep. Yep. You're very I, right. Keep telling it. <laughs> this man, I don't know how he did it, dude. I don't know how. He he stomached this because I would have decked the guy.
1: Dude, Wyman Manderly has so much patience. Like holy shit. Uh, I love I love this moment though, right? That and Davos noticing he's like the room just becomes like still and icy. Davos notices it because Davos, as we've seen throughout this chapter, actually like has human emotions, is very empathetic. He's been good at this throughout, again, the past few chapters. He knows that vengeance is what the Manderlys want and appeals to that. He knows what Boral wants. He's able to speak to that. And that's because Davos, like, understands people and can read the room. Like, literally, when we say read the room, Davos can do that. And he said so explicitly. Part of me wonders, do you think that the phrase noticed? Do you think that they noticed that everyone in that moment was like, I want to kill you right now?
0: I think they kind of have to know to an extent that, like, Like, yes, he's fooling them to an extent, but he's not. They are obviously wary of him, of his every move. Um, I kind of feel like half of them are getting off on it. Like, Rhaegar, especially, is getting off on it. Like, he loves this, especially this whole talking down to Wyla right here thing. Like, uh, up next here. Oh, he loves mansplaining these lies to her oh he loves it yeah because like wyla is not having it right she fights back and she's like that's untrue those words are untrue and lady leona takes her by her braid out of the room it's like young girls should be an ornament to the eye not an ache in the ear Uh, and wyman seems to be apologetic for wyla's behavior and rhaegar's like marriage will soften her shut the fuck up punch him in the fucking nose dude ah i hate this guy
1: he says it in a way that kind of, like, really insinuates that he thinks that her husband should beat her, too, or something. I'm like, you know he's cool with that. Yeah, it he, like, expects it.
0: And Wyman responds to him, he's like, well, if that doesn't, the Silent Sisters will. Uh, and then he turns to Davos, and he's like, I've heard enough of the Onion Knight's treasons. And he's like, you're still a smuggler, come to steal my golden blood and take my son's head.
1: Yes. And we get this ending of You came into my city like a smuggler. I say you are no lord, no knight, no envoy, only a thief and a spy, a peddler of lies and treasons. I should tear your tongue out with hot pincers and deliver you to the dreadfort to be flayed. But the mother is merciful, and so am I. He beckoned to Sir Marlin, Cousin. Take this creature to the wolf's den and cut off his head and hands. I want them brought to me before I sup. I shall not be able to eat a bite until I see the smuggler's head upon a spike with an onion shoved between his lying teeth.
0: And the chapter ends just like the chapter ends before this in Tyrion, right? Tyrion and Davos are assumed dead. That's what we
1: assume. Yep.
0: Obviously it's a reread. We know they're not dead bitches. But
1: Yep. And kind of a specific thing to ask to ask someone of and that he says that Davos has lying teeth when it's like everyone else as we saw in this chapter, everyone else has lying teeth except for Davos.
0: <laughs> That's a great point.
1: He's like Damn, I can't believe I have to go out here and tell lies about this guy telling lies.
0: Dude, that is all he gets in the next chapter, right? He's like, great, now I have to go tell more lies and do more things I don't want to do for another (laughs) guy who I'm not even loyal to? This is bullshit.
1: I know. It's totally like if you give a mouse a cookie and then everyone else is like asking for more shit. It's like, who is the (sighs) mouse now? How many people are the fucking mouse? But yeah, the chapter starts with them calling Davos a smuggler. He's reminded about it again and again throughout this chapter uh, by the Manderly specifically and especially here at the end. And I feel that that's very significant because first of all, I mean, yes, in general, nobles fucking love calling Davos a smuggler. Uh, but they especially love telling him that he was a smuggler right before they ask him to smuggle something. Like, Davos, remember your resume? I'm gonna bring up all of this work experience that you have. Could you do this thing for me again? We saw it heavily in Clash, Davos 2, the, that, that fateful episode that we split into two episodes, which holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> and Stannis and Melisandre kept reminding him that, hey, Davos, you smuggler? Davos, you smuggler? Smuggle things. And it's like, at first, you're like, why are they being so rude to him all of a sudden? And here, at first, that's part of the fake-out, right? You expect a potentially hostile house, which is how the Manderlis are being presented right now, especially because in Feast, we're like, oh my god, they killed Davos, maybe, but um, but of course, it ends up acting as a sort of foreshadowing for what they're gonna ask Davos again to do next chapter. People are only ever asking Davos to like smuggle people nowadays. Have you noticed? And also, I- I'm just yeah. gonna say in general, this chapter is iconic.
0: No, absolutely.
1: Both of these last two, both of these last two ch- Davos chapters are.
0: I really like his earlier chapters as well, especially during the slow read, but I think these four chapters are an amazing arc to read them all together. I highly recommend it because there's so much in here that's rich as far as like White Harbor, Uh especially. Uh, Setting the scene as somewhere new that's just so beautifully. And I mean, let's face it, it's like a circus in there. You've got crazy things all over the walls and it's so much to look at and so much to read from George. That alone and having that new wondrous setting with all these new ideas of trade and economic prosperity, but also war. Uh Seeing it teeming on the edge and bubbling over like that is really a great setting to put davos and to see him flex and do his thing in
1: absolutely i know it like it sucks that george incorporating some of these new ideas right and and that richness that you were discussing has prob not probably has definitely caused these books to be delayed <laughs> but it's also just really fun and and you know i'm excited to see how that's all going to play out Later, one day, if if we ever do, it's for a good reason. (laughs) Yeah,
0: you know, I I wouldn't love these books if it didn't have this teeming with richness from every corner. You know, like without this world, this is what makes George's writing special. Is that he had to screw around to figure out what to do with the Davos chapters, and it made Feast Dance split in half, and it made Feast Dance take eight hundred years to come out. And now he's taking a bajillion years on the next one. But you know what? That's okay because it was beautiful when it came out, and it'll be beautiful when it comes out again.
1: Yeah, But even more beautiful, I haven't talked about this in a while though, even more beautiful are the friends that we made along the way.
0: <sighs> Especially in Davos 3, where we made friends with all of the Merman's
1: Court. Indeed, except for those Freys. <laughs> Especially not Rhaegar Frey, I wouldn't oh even eat God. you, that's how much you suck. Right? Like, someone's gonna get indigestion for that, too. I bet you don't even taste good. I No, you're right, I think he tastes bad. Absolutely.
0: Still better to taste him tasting bad in a pie than actually talk to him, though.
1: It's wild that someone so salty would taste so bad, you know? Uh,
0: He's very bitter. You know the phrase don't salt their food.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well,
0: thank you so much for joining us in Davos three, the penultimate Davos, a dance with dragons chapter. Uh, I I had a blast. I had fun. Eliana, did you have fun?
1: Oh, I had fun. I'm 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 sad that we only have one more. And big thank you again to our friends
0: that joined us early too.
1: Absolutely. I, again, our beautiful friends that we meet along the way.
0: Yeah, I'm sad that Davos is going to be over, but I know that all of you, and I know I, am very, very excited to move on to a new POV as well. So bittersweet, but we will be announcing that POV, I guess, next week in our
1: uh, final Davos. (laughs) Davos.
0: Our ultimate Davos chapter. (laughs)
1: Yes. Well, of course, keep up with us, and maybe even that announcement, right, Uh, on social media. You can find us at Girls Gone Canon. C A N O N on Twitter, or again, shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, make sure that you are subscribed to us on a podcast platform near you. So you get these episodes every Friday, except for the last Friday of the month. We will put them into your podcast platform. You'll get an alert and you'll be able to listen to us first thing. So, depending on where you're at, it could be Apple, it could be Amazon, Google, Podbean. Spotify, you name it. We're on whatever one. Look it up on Google. You'll find us.
1: Indeed. And another place you can find this is, of course, our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Girls Canon. we patrons $5 and up. Get special bonus episodes every month. Last month, as we said, we did cover the free city of Kohor in our tour of the free cities. And this month is going to be an episode about His Dark Materials.
0: Yes, we'll be announcing that very soon. So head on over there and hang out with us. And you know, we do have a Discord server that's available for patrons in the Thunder tier. That's the $10 tier and above. And we'll also be holding our Discord happy hour slash brunch. We do it every month over on Discord in our voice chat with patrons. We hang out, we chat. This month's Discord will be on Saturday, February 13th. So if you're listening to this, you may miss it. Just by a second, but it will be Saturday, February 13th, and we'll be having a Galentine's Day with some giveaways of some themed merchandise and some other fun things happening, as well as Jackbox games. So join us on Discord.
1: Yeah, I do love Jackbox games, so I'm excited.
0: I'm pretty excited, too. They're just fun. They're they're, they're fun party games. Yeah. Well, as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe.
1: And I have been another one of your hosts, Wileyanna Manderley. Oh
0: my god, you've been <laughs> fired once more. I couldn't believe that she could do it, folks, but twice in an episode and right at the end, here she is. I've just been doing
1: too well, you know, I've been too good.
0: Yeah, your work performance has really not been suffering enough lately, so I'm really glad I got to fire you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, Eliana, well, you want to get hired?
1: I don't know, it, it feels... It's interesting to be fired all the time. Most Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>